It's so lovely to see you this morning. <laughs> I am. Um... <laughs> I was hoping that this would not be a distraction. <laughs> and I said, Lord, I hope this is not a distraction. Mandy, you and your team just did so well this morning. Wow. I just found the worship honoring the Father and honoring the Son and honoring the Spirit. And that's a real skill that you and your team brought. And so really, really incredible. If you are visiting with us this morning, we don't normally wear this type of kit. But if you just hold... It will become clearer a little bit later, <laughs> and you'll be embarrassed about your booze. <laughs> but we're in the second last passage of um, James, and so I want you to think about the person who knows you best. It might be a spouse, it might be a best friend, and um, the passage that we're covering is patience. And so if you um, were to ask the person who knows you best to rank you out of 10, 10 being brilliant, one being terrible, what would they score you for patience? And once you've got an answer in your mind, just look at me. Okay, your spouse or your best friend has just ranked you. Put up your hand if you scored five or less. <laughs> Put up your hand if you scored from six to eight. You have to score by, you, you, can't, you can't not vote yourself, guys. Eight to ten? You can be honest, 8 to 10, wow. Oh, him. Wow. That's impressive. Some of you were really honest, well done. So, friends, your best friend or your spouse just ranked you. You can go home and find out whether their rank actually correlated with your rank. <laughs> but I want, as we look at the passage of James, I want us to see that what we had in mind around ranking and patience is nothing like what James has in mind when he covers patience. They're not even close. And um, I think the examples, in this case, three case studies that he's going to give, are perhaps going to shock you to the reality of what patience means. And um, shall I just move this a little bit away? Would that help? Um, uh, I think it's far more invasive than what we believe. But then I think the hope that James brings to make us men and women who are more patient is more glorious than what we've ever thought. So, um, let's pray. Father, as we come to read your word, we really are not interested in man's opinions. They might help us for a day, but they do not transform us from our heart. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that your word would enter into our hearts 
and plant a seed that would produce fruit over the rest of our lives. Lord, it may this be a tree that is, seed that is planted that produces a tree of patience. In Jesus' name, amen. So I actually have an aim in mind as I preach God's word, and this is my aim, and I hopefully it ties up with James's aim. Uh, and I think that uh, the aim of this passage that James wants to persuade us, and I hope to do the same, is to persuade us that there is no challenge that you will ever face that is too big for God to bring you through if I think it's actually on this side. I'm going to try here, and then if it's irritating. Okay, let's try that. <laughs> oh, jeez. I don't cover this in preaching course. <laughs> what to do when you get heckled? <laughs> oh, man. So, the aim is to try and persuade you that there is no trial too big, that is too big for God to see you through if you would just yield to him. There is no trial that you will ever face that is too big for God to see you through if you would just yield to him. Let's read the word of God. James 5 and verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until, it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers... Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is God's word. So James gives us three case studies for us to look at in terms of examining patience. And the first case study that he gives us is the farmer. And he says, well, have a look at the farmer. The farmer in Palestine requires two sets of rain, the early rain and the late rain, or um, uh, autumn rain or spring rain, or kind of rain in October, November, April, May. And the great trial that every farmer faces, or in this case, uh, uh, this farmer, is what happens when in... When it's time to plant in April and May or October, sorry, October, November, and there is no rain, what do you do? I think let's change.
How's that? If you're watching online, my apologies for the technical realities. Is that okay, Adrian? Is that better, friends? Boy, there have been a lot of interruptions <laughs> for one message. I'm very patient. <laughs> what does the farmer do uh, when there's no rain? Well, he's got two choices. The one is he waits, and the other one is he plants, hoping that just as he plants, the rain happens. But if he plants and there is no rain, there's no crop. And the same is what happens in terms of when it comes to reap and there's no rain, what does he do? Because the rain actually brings the significant increase in the fruit. And if you harvest before it rains, your yield is significantly lower. And James is saying, in this case, the trial or the, the difficulty or the struggle of the farmer is... Um, does that look okay? Sheepers. The... <laughs> The struggle of the farmer is that if it doesn't rain and he doesn't plant, there's no income. And if there's no income, there's pressure on the family. And so what do you do? Do you just take a risk and hope? Do you plant and say, God, we're going to trust you? And um, James says, the farmer's role is to wait. And the great trial is to do something prematurely, either to plant prematurely or to harvest prematurely. And I think the very similar realities in our lives, under pressure, and I'm not just talking about the type of thing where you're late for a meeting. That's not the pressure that we're talking about. We're talking about significant pressure and weighty pressure that life brings it might be a reality with your boss. It might be a reality with your career. It might be a reality around your future. Is South Africa the country for us? It might be a relational pressure that you face. There is significant pressure. And the pressure is so big that if you don't act, the, the difficulty is going to stay the same or possibly get worse. What do you do? And James is saying that that in the farmer's case, he can do everything, but there's a significant part of his life that is beyond his control. He cannot do anything about the weather. And here's what James wants to teach you and I, is that there is significant parts of your life that you cannot control. You can do everything, everything that you need to do to make the things happen that you want to happen, but yet there's this portion, and in this case, it's a big portion that you cannot control. And James is saying, you have to learn the ability to trust God in that period of waiting in that area that you've got no control. And it's a lot more difficult than what you think. Because in this case, it's got to do with income. And so, I think the great difficulty about following Jesus and the reality of, of our lives 
is that in the really important areas of our lives, we want to take control. We're happy to yield to God in most of the areas, but the areas that are really important to us, boy, is it hard to really trust God and to release control to Him because the consequences in our mind of releasing control are so significant. And so James says that the farmer has to wait for the rain so that he can get the precious fruit. In other words, the waiting does yield something. And the writer to the Hebrews kind of picks up on this farming analogy in Hebrews 12 verse 11, and it will be on the screen. So it says, For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Well, Brendan, what are you talking about? Are you talking about patience or are you talking about discipline? Yes, they are very, very similar because the way that we gain patience is a training process. And um, so the writer said to the Hebrews, and I think this is probably maybe James's most important point in the whole book, and here's why I say that, is because in James chapter one, he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because your trials, your great difficulties that you're facing are producing something. What are they producing? They're producing a wholeness, a completeness in God. And so God is doing something. So he starts chapter one with trials and he kind of concludes chapter five with trials and they're producing something. In this case, they are producing patience. And uh, the Hebrew writer says that, you know, yeah, it's, it's unpleasant, it's difficult, but it's yielding something. It's yielding the peaceful fruits of righteousness. There is a, a wholeness, a Christ-likeness that comes when we're actually prepared to wait. Brennan, does that mean we don't do anything? No, the farmer's still got to do everything he has to do. He's doing everything that he can do, but he is not taking control over things that he has no control over. He is not prematurely planting. Case study number two, the prophets, James chapter five and verse 10 says, an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And so there are many examples that we can use. Um, perhaps one would be Ezekiel, a prophet set aside to declare the word of God, set aside to tell Israel that the way that they're acting is wicked, set aside to actually tell the leadership um, that what they're doing is wicked. And if you confront leadership, chances are things aren't going to go well. If you expose leadership, chances are, in any context, it just generally doesn't end well. And certainly the prophets, as soon as they expose leadership or Israel for their behavior, things don't go well. And so Ezekiel is faithful to exposing leadership for their wickedness, and the result is that um, Jezebel wants him dead. He runs away, he flees, 
And he says, God, I'd rather be dead than uh, actually carry on. And so the, the, the example that the second, the second example or case study that, that James is using is a prophet. And I think what he's trying to teach us is that there are times when you can actually obey God, when you can be faithful to all that God has told you to do, and yet you can still incur exceptional opposition. And we never think like that. We think that if we're faithful to God, God will look after us. If we do what God has called us to do, then he needs to do his side of the bargain, yeah? That's how we always think. And we are completely surprised when we are faithful and then life does not turn out how we expected it to. We don't know how to deal with that. Our frame of reference is normally surprised because it's not how we imagine God. We imagine God, God, I'll do my bit, you do your bit, and happy days, yeah? And, and James is saying, listen, it's not the case. Let me give you a case study around the reality of following God and what patience really looks like. It really looks like patience is that when you've been given an impossible task and the opposition is immense, you stay faithful. You don't give up. So James writes that we consider those prophets blessed. That word blessed means whole. It's the Hebrew word shalom. It means complete in every way. Well, how was Ezekiel blessed? And how were some of the prophets blessed? It didn't end well for many of the prophets. What's the blessing in that? There is something within their character and within their nature that gets transformed by, 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 by trusting in God, by waiting upon God, by not doing their own thing. And so you can start to see here that our patience and trusting God hasn't got to do with God giving us what we want, but more to do with what God is changing and shaping with us internally. The third case study that James gives is the life of Job. James chapter 5 and verse 11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so James uses a different word here, steadfast. And that steadfast is the same word that he uses in James chapter 1. And so that kind of word patience and steadfastness, you're starting to get a a better picture of what patience really means. Patience in this context is the ability to suffer long. It's the ability to go the long haul. I, um, I love those, those YouTube clips of big wave riders, and um, you just see them on these massive waves. And um, it's glorious, would you not agree, if you've ever seen big wave riders. It's just so magnificent how one man can ride such a massive wave. And, um, but what I discovered about big wave riders is that the, the main skill is not actually to ride the wave. Do you know what the main skill is of big wave riders? It's the ability to be held under for a long time. That's the main training. Uh, they would obviously have to have the skills to ride, but 
that's not the main deal. And so the training around big wave riding has a lot to do with actually being shoved under and held because the way that you die is that you panic and you take in water and that's the end of you. And so that's something of patience, the ability not to panic, not to prematurely act, not to grab hold of control, not to do things because it's so tough that you actually want to make a plan. We're starting to get a picture of patience. And so the final case study that James brings is Job. And um, the context of Job is Satan comes to God and says, um, the only reason why Job loves you and worships you is because you bless him. But if you take away the blessings, he will not worship you. It's completely linked. And somehow in the mystery of God, God agrees to this test. And uh, so God takes away his health and gives him extremely painful health, takes away his children, takes away his wife, his wife curses him, takes away his wealth, takes away his reputation, and finally almost withdraws himself because Job says, God, I just, would you answer me? And so everything that Job values is removed, everything. And we would never bargain for that. Never, never, ever would we think that God could remove everything from us. And if you just take one of them and the pain that one of caused, it would overwhelm us. But if you look at everything, you have to say, I don't think we could ever face what Job faced. I don't think we could ever navigate that. Um, I mean, if you speak to a person who's lost a child, they'll say there's, there's nothing more painful than, than losing a child. He lost his children, he lost his wife, he lost his wealth, he lost his credibility, he lost his reputation, his friends came up and were no blessing to him at all. And so, um, what's, what's the great temptation of Job? What's the great struggle of Job? The great struggle of Job is to say, this is not fair. This is not right. I have done everything right before you, God. And this is how you repay me. And this is, this is not right, Lord. And the great kind of temptation is to get angry or to get bitter or to harden your heart. And yet it says that, um, uh, that Job remained steadfast. He just, he didn't give up. There is a narrative around that, but he didn't give up. And I want to maybe make this suggestion. I'm not sure if it's true. I don't even know if it was James and his intention. But when I look at the three case studies, farmer, prophet, Job, it, it might be that each kind of trial to produce something is getting harder. It might be that there's a progression there. And maybe James is teaching us, maybe it's a bit of an overreach, but I think the kind of principle is still the same, that most of following God is a progression of tests and trials. Ooh, the, 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 the pressure that he places under us when we were young believers is not the same pressure because we can do that heavy lifting. And I, I, 
the wonderful thing of God is that there is a curriculum that's tailor-made to you to produce a Christ-likeness within you to glorify God and to serve man if you would just not give up and you would not take control of your life and you would wait and you would yield and you would remain steadfast. I think the further that we grow towards God, the more intense the training becomes. And now to a fourth case study. Tasha, myself, and our family. And this is a personal story. And so it doesn't carry nearly the, much the same weight as the Bible text, but I hope it serves you well. In 2018, Tash and I were in Joburg. We were attending a leadership conference, and one of the leaders came up to us and said that he felt God was going to relocate us to New Zealand. Out of the blue, from nowhere, he brings this word. And so scripture is very clear when we receive prophetic words, we to weigh them. And um, so I just wrote it down in my journal because it didn't really impress me at all. I just said, I said, we received a prophetic word to go to New Zealand in my journal. And then I wrote, God, and I know I've told many of you this story, but I still hope it's helpful. I said, God, I have no desire to go to New Zealand. So I just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> 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 but Lord I think you've got a sense of humor and so Lord I would like an all black rugby jersey and that was that didn't think about it didn't pray about it and about six months later my sister visited us and um, she said oh I was in the airport and I saw this book I thought you might like it it's called The Jersey The Story of the All Black rugby jersey, and in the front is this big black rugby jersey. So I laughed, and I said to Tash, Tash, I haven't told you this, but I think it's quite funny. I actually asked God for an all-black rugby jersey. This is not an all-black rugby jersey, but I think it's quite funny. We hadn't chatted at all. She said, you know, I think God might be in this. Let's explore. And so we began to speak to our eldership team and the international team that we're a part of, and it resulted in us going to New Zealand and spending two weeks visiting various churches there. And on the last night, a big Maori guy came up to me, brother of an all-black rugby player. I wish he was here. You would not laugh. <laughs> he said, no, he felt that God told him to give this to me, gives me the present. And uh, in the parcel is the jersey that you see here this evening, this one. And um, I've never actually worn this jersey. This is the first time, just to clear that up as well. <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to wear it again, <laughs> just to clear that. It was meant to help you grow in Christ. <laughs> but we came back. We went through a, a really good consultative process with our eldership team, with uh, the international team, in terms of us having faith to obey God. We weren't leaving the country because we wanted to leave the country. We just wanted to please the Lord. 
that's why we had operated for years. And one of the great gifts of Tash is she is courageous in obeying God, even when it's, great, when it's costly and it makes no sense. And so this was another step in that of just, hey, Lord, we just want to please you. And it wasn't just Tash and I, it was a, 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 a great team around us working through this process. And so uh, we announced to the church, we are handing over the church to an outstanding couple, and um, we are relocating to New Zealand to partner with the partnering churches there. And on the same night, President Tabunbeki, sorry, Surah Mamposa, <laughs> announced lockdown. And um, uh, that was, was in March 2020, yeah? Is that right? And um, you can imagine that upended our world. And um, we now, the, the, we had started a process that the team that we were working with, even on an international basis, was saying, Brendan, it's fine. No one would have known COVID happened. It would be perfectly reasonable and in, with integrity that you take the church back because you cannot go to New Zealand and who knows when you can. And... Um, uh, that placed Tash and I in a great trauma because what do we do? We've heard God, we've acted in obedience to God, but now some circumstances have changed. What do we do? And um, one, of the great, one of the great difficulties is hearing the voice of God under pressure. And when you're in trauma, it's very difficult. It's a little bit easier when there's peace and calm, but when there's great pressure and when it's got to do with finances and your family, and it, like, you're like, hey, Lord. And it literally felt like God's voice was silent. And if I had to show you my journal, they were just, where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? Because these are momentous decisions. And all that you want to do is take control so that you can provide for your family. And have a security because insecurity does something to you. It produces anxiety. Anxiety impacts, moves to anger. It, you know, those, the pressures does something to us. It brings the worst out in us. Would you agree? If it, particularly if it's sustained. And I wish that I could tell you about my great ability to trust God and that peace was my lot, but it wasn't. Um, and I think here was the great difficulty for me personally, and Tasha's story is Tasha's story. But I couldn't understand why, when we had been faithful with what God had given us for 17 years in the church, and we had been faithful in responding in faith, why we would end up with no work. Or we actually decided to hand over the church and to honor that process. That, th those two just didn't marry. It wasn't, I wasn't not trusting in God. And that wasn't the issue. The issue is, Lord, the consequences of trusting in you are a little bit unbearable. And I wrote in my journal, I said, Lord, I'm a pastor. I know this verse that says that all, everything is there to train us. But I said, Lord, I don't feel like I'm being trained. I feel like I'm being crushed. 
And, you know, friends, um, the, the story's not over. We would love to say, okay, we've, you know, we've, we've navigated this and God has been good. And here's what I, I think, what I'm just beginning to learn is so much of our life is outside of our control. And the ability to follow God is just the ability not to give up. And I think that's the only thing we have done well, is we just haven't given up. And I think what Tash has done really well is she just hasn't given up. It's not what we expected. We didn't see it coming. And, um, you know, friends, we're not dreaming of New Zealand. I want to put you at rest. It's not how it works. Here's what I just want to say. Is our lives are not our own. They really aren't. Um, and yet, we live like they are. And the wealthier that we are, or the more educated that we are, the more we struggle to really let go of control over every facet. And so... I think God's kind to, to put us through things that, that cause us to have to wait upon him and to yield control. Don Carson says this, it's one thing to wait for the Lord's coming. It's another thing to wait well. It's one thing to wait, say, God, I know you're coming but to wait well. What is patience? It's the ability to not give up under pressure, but also to do it in a way that is trusting of God. It's kind towards others. Who can help us wait well? James doesn't, James doesn't leave us hanging in terms of we'll just stick it out, just grit it out. He says... Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. James 5, verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Friends, this is not something, well, you know, I'm just not a patient person. Um, you know, it's not me. Actually, it's an imperative. It's a command. James says, be patient. In other words, he's commanding us to endure. He's commanding us not to give up. He's commanding us not to, 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 to be steadfast, not to take control. Or on what basis? He says, well, the Lord is coming back. And that word coming back would be a royal king returning. There is a king, and he is returning. And when he returns, he will put all things right. He will put all things right. And every single pain that that pressure that you are currently in or will go through is the reality of that. He will wipe away the tears. And he will heal the sick. And he will reconcile the broken. And every dream that you ever imagined of what life could be like under God will be far exceeded. And so, uh, there is a timeline. There is an end goal that we have. And the end goal is, well, Jesus is returning to put all things right. And so much, friends, of some of the pain that we have is because of an injustice. 
something that someone else or some organization has done that deeply impacts us. And we want to get angry and we want to get back and we want to take control, whether it be if you're thinking about South Africa as a nation or you're thinking about a difficult marriage or you're thinking about a difficult boss, all those realities, the temptation to do something and take control is high. And James says, how would it change if you really believed that Jesus will come and judge that wickedness and sort out that wickedness? And not only that, but he will renew you and restore you and make all things right. No more tears and no more pain. Jesus is coming back as a king. And it shapes the way that we deal with the injustices and the trials that we currently face. But it's not just a future hope. Because the word of God says that James, sorry, Job experienced the compassion and mercy God. In other words, and I love that word, it's actually tender mercy. God's not saying, hey, well, this is a really tough life. Just hang in there till I return because I'm doing something great within you. You know, It's, it's not that kind of self-determination. He says, uh, the God that we serve in that process, he is gently kind over your life. The current trials and circumstances that you face you can anticipate the gentle kindness. Don't you think that's a beautiful word? It's like a gentle kindness over your life. Final case study as I come to land. Let's have a look at how Paul describes patience. 1 Timothy 1 verse 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecuted and insolent opponent... Verse 15, this, is a tr- this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul actually also describes patience and he says this is what it looks like. He says, I actually was wicked towards God. I, in this case, was violent towards those that God loved and belonged to God. And instead of justice and instead of punishment, God showed kindness to me. What does perfect patience look like? Because patience is the ability to endure. What's perfect patience? It's the ability to show grace under fire. Wow, and that's a very rare quality. And it's a quality that we see in Jesus. It wasn't just patient in terms of just, okay, let's hang in there. He should have actually sorted Paul out. And I don't understand perfect patience. But this thing I know is true for me is that God was exceptionally patient with me and is exceptionally patient with me still. That God does not give me justice for my wickedness when he saved me and he still does not give me justice for my wickedness today. Yeah? God is perfectly patient with me and therefore I can be perfectly patient with others. It's a quote from J.R. Packer. 
And I want you to consider this quote. Appreciate the patience of God. Think of how he is born with you and still bears with you when so much of your life is unworthy of him and you so richly reject, deserve his rejection. Learn to marvel at his patience and seek grace to imitate it in your dealings with others and try not to try his patience and more. Friends, patience is not something that you just try harder in. Patience is a fruit from having Christ within you. If Jesus is not returning, then it makes no sense to be patient. Rather, do whatever you can to take control of your life. But if he is returning, then we can trust in him. And uh, that process of actually releasing control or the leadership of your life is called being born again. It's called being saved. And perhaps you've never released control of your life. And today, not because of me, but just because of what you've experienced in your heart, perhaps you would like to do that. We call that becoming a Christian. And I don't want to assume that because we're in church, we're all Christians. But our, I think James is inviting you and me to release control of our lives. And if you would like to do that, then I'm going to encourage you to actually say those words. God, I actually want to release control of my life and the leadership of my life to you, and I want to trust you to lead it. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, then I would love to chat with you further because it's a momentous moment that's happened. But for all of us, I think this text is actually calling us to do two things. Number one is to be confident that there is no trial that you will ever face that is too big for God to help you navigate if you would just release control to him. I said two things. There was just one. Amen.